Welcome to the Enrollment Insights Podcast. I'm Will Patch, Enrollment Marketing Leader here at Niche. In this podcast, my goal is to focus less on the promise of those best practices, instead look for the processes and questions to spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. My guest today is Jeremy Tears, Director of Admission Services for Tutor Collegiate Strategies. He helps colleges across the country with professional development, personalizing their communications plans, and rethinking their efforts to be more relational rather than transactional. Jeremy has spoken at and been keynote speaker for numerous NACAC affiliate conferences, as well as the EduWeb Digital Summit and multiple other webinars and podcasts. Welcome and thanks for making time to chat today, Jeremy. Morning, Will. It's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, I'm going to start off here with two questions that I ask everybody. First up, what's something you tried that didn't work and what did you learn from that? Yeah, and it's funny as as I was looking, you know, over this and preparing to uh, to answer this, I wrote down a couple of different things, and the one I kept coming back to, Will, was this notion of work life balance. And you and I know each other well enough that I think we both know what each other's work life balance, you know, currently looks like. And I have a lot of people who always say to me, Jeremy, you know, you need a better work life balance. And I said, says who? You know, wow, God, you work sixty hours and we. So for me, I know way back when I started doing what I'm doing now, because we're a smaller you know, boutique, if you want to call it, company, so much of the day-to-day operations you know, falls on me. And I think I really you know, tried to figure out, okay, what is that perfect work-life balance going to look like? And I know I would talk with a lot of people and get their feedback. And I just kept coming back at the end of the day, Will, to this notion of, it's not about copying someone else's work-life balance, you know, it's about what makes you happy. And for me, I'm just one of those people, right, that in trying to find the perfect life balance, you know, I would argue I found it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, it's funny, that's something I talk a lot about with admissions counselors, enrollment marketers, and, and you know, admissions and enrollment leaders. Because I think, again, it's about what makes us happy. It's about what fits within, you know, the lifestyle that we have, whether it's with a family, with kids, you know, if we're single, what, whatever it is, I think as long as you're happy, I think that's something that is super important for all of us. And just understanding, too, that, you know, you have to understand if you have bigger goals, it requires a different work-life balance. And so... For me, I know I always was trying to find the perf- work-life balance in my previous career, you know, as a college basketball coach, you know, working as a high school guidance counselor for a couple of years and and now in the last seven years and change doing what I'm doing. And I think what I've learned over the years is it just doesn't exist, but it's more about what makes you happy. And I think that's, again, something that's been very valuable for me and something that I've been able to help others with as well. Balance is one of the things that's not it's not the same for everybody. You know, that tipping point is different for every single one of us. So someone can say to you, you know, your, your schedule is insane. How that's out of whack. Well, it's out of whack for them. I mean, you're very involved still as a dad. I mean, you've, you've got all these things that are in perfect balance for you because you make it work. Yeah. And I have an amazing wife too. So Mm -hmm. shout out to my wife who probably will never listen to this, but nonetheless, (laughs) uh, you know, having been married 21 years, you can't do it right, especially if you're, you know, in a marriage without an amazing partner as well. So we'll pull that clip and then you can, you know, play that on your home audio or something for you. I like it. I like <laughs> it. You know, this is something that's big for you, I know. What practices do you use to brainstorm and then bring new ideas into your work? Yeah. So the work we do, as you mentioned in the intro, Will, with colleges and universities, 
really comes from so much survey data. You know, you and I, you know, the two companies we work for, we've done joint surveys together before. And it's funny when I get done this podcast this morning, I'm actually going to be going through 95 pages of survey data for a workshop with a school in Colorado that I'll be leading the next three days. And so for me, so much of what I learn and am then able to work with admissions and enrollment, you know, marketing teams on comes from this survey data straight from, you know, prospective students, current students. And then, you know, I think, you know, I also use social media a ton. I'm, I'm on Reddit. I'm on other social platforms to just see what's being said. For the last probably two and a half to three years, I will spend an hour a week, usually on a Saturday or a Sunday, uh, where I do nothing but mine YouTube and just look at various blogs and videos that teenagers are posting to see, okay, like what are some of these topics that, you know, a lot of the masses are talking about or what type of information is resonating? And so, you know, as our good friend Liz Gross would say, right, social listening is important. I think we all know that. And so, for me, it's a combination of that. It's a combination of this survey data. And then I think it's just bouncing ideas back and forth off of different people, as well as our clients. You know, if you're looking for a vendor, that's not us. If you're looking for a partner, absolutely that's us because, you know, you know this as somebody who, who works with other colleges and universities. I mean, the best relationships and the ones that work, you know, most effectively are the ones where you're doing your part and the other person or the other people on the other side are doing their part. I think that survey data, you know, really helps us create the messaging that we create. And then, you know, as you might imagine, we look at things like open rates and, you know, what messages are getting high engagement and stuff like that. And then, you know, the last little bit is when I do these training workshops and I'm looking for things to just talk about more or points to punctuate, I think as I was sharing with you before we started recording, so many times I do one-on-one meetings, you know, the school in Colorado, I'm actually, believe it or not, going to be doing 34 of those over two days, which exactly. Some people, that's the response I get. Oh my God, Jeremy, that's it. But for me, honestly, Will, I I love the one-on-ones as much as I do the actual training because it allows you to really just get to know somebody more and really try to figure out what can I do to help this person. And for me, you know, at my core, that's who I am. You know, the biggest fulfillment I get is when somebody takes something that we talk about or takes some concept that I share and puts it into practice and it works for them. And then they share it with me because I'm happy for them and I'm happy, you know, that I was able to help them grow in some, you know, small or possibly big way. And so I hear so many common pain points during those one-on-one meetings, both literally with admissions counselors all the way up through VP, you know, level. And so I think that helps me as well bring new ideas into my work when I'm seeing constant themes across the industry. I mean, it's just like with students, right? That if you're one-on-one with a student, you're going to have a much better conversation than if you're in front of a group and say, hey, what, what questions do you have? You're not going to get the same type of feedback. No, you're absolutely right. And, and that's, you know... That's something in terms of being direct and intentional, Will, that I think is is super important, not just for colleges and universities, but for all of us in our day-to-day. I mean, back to you know brainstorming and bringing new ideas into our work, it's much easier to do that, right, when there's more intentionality with it. You know, you're working with all these institutions. What are the blind spots that you see over and over that are issues that, you know, once they're pointed out, they're really obvious? 
I would say a couple of things, you know, really popped off when I was thinking about this. Personalization by far and away is the number one thing. I think higher ed, unfortunately, both on the admissions and enrollment marketing side, the large majority of the industry still has a different definition for what personalization is versus what their target audience actually believes it is. It's not that I would argue enrollment marketers, communication staff don't understand that. When I talk about personalization, for example, so many schools are still sending messages from a general office of admissions email account. They know that if they send it from an actual human being, in most cases, I would argue an admissions counselor, there's a better chance that it's going to get open. They know if they change the calls to action, for example, and this could be a counselor, this could be, again, someone on the marketing communication side writing enrollment communications. But they know if they change, you know, the calls to action from being purely transactional, right, the same visit, apply, deposit to actually asking those direct intentional questions you just mentioned, mm-hmm. that's got a better chance to get them engagement. I think those are a couple of things. And then, you know, I would also argue because I have so many conversations with leadership and I'm sure there's, you know, various leadership level people listening to this just the importance of one-on-one time with your team. I mean, everybody knows they need to do this if they're in a position of leadership, but I am blown away, Will, at the number of people who still tell me, Jeremy, I'm not making enough time for my team. And I'll just be like, if you know, why are you not doing it right? And we can all come up with reasons and excuses, and some of them are valid, and some of them are exactly that, excuses. I think personalization, and I think, again, on the leadership side, just understanding it's so vital, especially in 2021, to spend individual time with each of the people you manage. I know I'm guilty of, and a lot of people are, that you think I don't have time for this, when really it's, I'm not making time, I'm not prioritizing, right? That's 100% the point. And, and, you know, I don't know who told me this, but I know I picked it up along the way, so I can't take credit for it. But, you know, way I always explain leadership is, you work for them, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And I think too many leaders don't look at it that way. They look at it as, well, they're supposed to come to me. No, your job above all else, you know, like this notion of a director of admissions or a vice president, AVP, whatever it is, in my opinion, of having a territory in 2021, no matter how small that is, Will, is ridiculous. And I have no problem sharing that with presidents on down through other leadership level. I understand why, especially for smaller institutions, but for the exact reason we just talked about, people know in a position of leadership most times, I need to spend more one-on-one time with my team. And in many cases, one of the big reasons they're not is because again, they have additional responsibilities that at least in my opinion, they should not have because their number one goal is to make sure they're supporting all the people they manage and giving them what they need. And each one of them probably need a lot of different things if you're doing it right. I always talk about enrollment as a wide pyramid where you have a couple people at the top, but most people are are down at the bottom and can have long careers there. There's things that you can do at the top that are bogging you down that you can delegate, right? Get that leadership experience on down. Yeah, delegation is super important. And, you know, back to obviously things I know a lot of people struggle with. And I'll be honest that myself as a young professional out of college, I know I struggle with it too, is this idea of delegation and, you know, being willing to you know, trust not only other staff, but I think part of the problem with delegation a lot of times I find, Will, is, you know, expectations aren't clear. And if expectations, you know, aren't clear ahead of time, 
it's much harder, for example, if you have three people within the office, for example, regardless of what their titles are, you know, working on a project together, if somebody hasn't been appointed the point person, for example, of that, you know, you'd like to think that all three of them can just put their heads together and not worry about, you know, who's supposed to be the person leading the way. But, but stuff like that, again, I think, you know, is one of those things that we all know needs to change and for whatever reason doesn't. But you said it well as well. I think as a leader, we have to make time. What are some things that schools think that they're personalizing that don't really count as personalization? Well, I think, you know, every time they're trying to share next steps in the process, for example, right? Like your typical visit event in 2021, virtual or, you know, information session in person, otherwise, is still set up the same way in terms of here are, you know, the three things that we think are important that are going to help make this process, you know, easier and more convenient to you, aka, here's a bunch of information about our school, right? Some of which you may already know, but again, this is this notion of we think if we share it a certain way, that makes it more personal to you versus trying to figure out, okay, is there a chances group or these people already know this? Wait a sec, are they already past this stage in the process? And so I think sharing certain information at a certain time, as you and I have talked about before, AKA giving information after you get information, as I like to call it, is much more effective personalization versus what an admission staff or what a marketer might do is just say, hey, I'm going to send all of this and I'm going to put their name in that email that we send out trying to get them to come and we're going to send them an email after or we're going to. And that technically, sure, it's personalization, but that's not the personalization that differentiates you in 2021. And you know, that's where I, I really believe the conversation will needs to be reframed in so many admission and marketing offices, which is outside of 1% of colleges and universities in this country, the goal needs to be when you're starting communication and continuing communication with prospective students, parents, and families is how is your school different and why is your school better based on what each individual prospective student is looking for, finds important, you know, cares about, uh, is worried or nervous about. And so that's the personalization that I really encourage schools to aim for. And it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of collaboration and time to get there. But putting names, you know, at the top of emails or putting names on parking spots on campus when somebody comes to campus, those technically are still personalization. But that's not the personalization, handing them a brochure that they're going to take home or that, you know, that folder, right, that has 600 leaflets in it. And that may feel like personalization. That's not the personalization that resonates with students anyways in 2021. People might feel strapped for time, strapped for resources. So what are a few quick personalization wins? I would tell you a couple of things. And <laughs> I, this one actually was something I just had a conversation about before the break. And it, you know, as I was looking through my email before we jumped on, I actually heard back from a uh, assistant director of communications at a school in the Northeast that made this change and has already seen open rates and engagement rates improve, like not using the exact same, for example, subject lines that so many colleges and universities are using, which 
you know, the big thing right now is to put the student's first name and the mm -hmm. school's name or acronym along with maybe, you know, a few other words in the subject line. You know, don't ever use dear at the start of an email or sincerely at the end if you're an admissions counselor ever again in an email. I mean, it's outdated language. It's stuff that, again, students see that and it's like their radar has told them right or wrong. This is a mass message. You did not create this for just me. This is a waste of my time and probably not something I'm going to find interesting. Using a more conversational tone in the language. And that's not just the emails you send, Will. That could be the text language you use. That could be during a Zoom chat. That could be a phone call. That could be a virtual or in-person event. You know, if you want to personalize the process more and get some, you know, quick wins, have it be a back and forth conversation, right? Make sure you're not the one, whoever your speaker is, dominating the entire conversation. You know, ask those direct intentional questions so that then you can get information and then you can give information back in a way that's going to resonate more because now the student has a reason to care about it. I think those are little things that aren't as difficult as people think, you know, using more contractions again, you know, in the language I'm instead of I am, which sounds a lot more robotic and things like that. And then just asking students, you know, earlier we talked about calls to action in various messages, asking students, for example, how they're feeling about things or what scares them or what worries them, or is this important to you? Or what do you want to talk about next? Those are ways again, to make it a two-way back and forth conversation that ultimately feels more personal than I'm just going to give you all this information. I have no idea if you already know it. Honestly, I'm not even going to ask you that. You're basically giving off the vibe that this wasn't created for you. And quite honestly, I really don't care what you think about it. My biggest concern is that you go to that link that I have you know, put in here and do whatever the next step is in the process, which could be start your application, complete the FAFSA, you know, visit campus. And so those are some easy things just in the language you use or don't use. And in terms of how you shape your conversations that I think really will result in some quick wins and quick positive feedback from students and parents. Those are all great things. There's a lot of insert name, apply today. Well, okay. You're not telling me why I should care, why I should apply. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just little things, right? Instead of dear yep. Will and then jumping into it, it's, hi, Will, hope you're doing okay. And then diving into it. Something that, again, that just sounds more conversational or doesn't yep. look like everything else they're getting. Those things, again, make you stand out where if nothing else, the student goes, wait a sec, this doesn't look like everything else. Mm -hmm. Huh? Maybe I'll actually read the start of the next paragraph. I'm glad you brought up the dear and, and having a very formal, because there's a time and a place for that. Mm -hmm. And I've actually, in, in secret shopping, I had a text series from an institution that was sent from the institution. It was acronym admissions. And the text was Dear Will, and then the body of it. I don't think I've ever put Dear something when texting someone. Nope, never. <laughs> and like I said, it just screams this was not created for just you and that is by, I mean, when I do workshops and trainings, Will, you know, we talked a lot already this morning about personalization. I start literally by showing a quote from a student survey we did with a school back in, I think it was either March or April of this past year, 2020. 
And literally verbatim, the quote is, I hated feeling like one of a billion. That is how so many students in this country feel when they go through the college search process. And we've got to figure out ways, you know, to change that, knowing that, again, you're right, there are some bigger things that aren't going to be quick changes or quick wins that are going to be more spread out and long term strategies. But, yeah, some of the stuff we just talked about there, you know, back to the previous question, like what are things that, you know, admissions counselors, enrollment marketers, you know, leadership knows they need to do differently, but just isn't. It's these same sorts of things we're talking about. And I think it's always reminding yourself, hey, if I'm doing things that are grounded in survey data straight from my target audience, who's saying, don't start an email with dear, sound different. Tell me why I should apply like you said. Why would you not want to take those strategies and put them into practice versus what you've been doing that's not working? Yeah, exactly. One thing that, that I like to do, and maybe you have a much better take on this, you know, with trying to sound more conversational, I like voice typing. You know, if you want to sound conversational, have a conversation, use text to speech, and right there you've got exactly how you would say it if you're talking. You don't have to try and think through, well, how would I say this if I was just having a conversation? Yeah. And a lot of admissions counselors will tell me, full disclosure, Will, in the one-on-one meetings, Jeremy, I'm worried I'm going to say the wrong thing. And I'm like, stop worrying because you are going to say the wrong thing at some point. We all do. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Outside of obviously saying something blatantly rude, right? Or just lying. There's probably nothing you're going to say if it ends up being wordy, if that makes sense, that a prospective student's going to go, well, boy, that sounded real wordy. Or that's, it mm-hmm. comes off way more authentic and less scripted when, again, stuff sounds occasionally wordy. And that's, again, what prospective students are looking for when they go through this process. Don't worry about sounding wordy. That's okay, because when you're really passionate about something, you can go on, you can get a little wordy. Just share that enthusiasm. Don't be afraid of that. Don't try and be reserved and hold back. You know, if you're a counselor and you're really excited and you're really passionate, be okay with letting that show. When you're doing phone calls, right, one of the things I know a lot of schools who have EA or ED do, right, is they do congratulatory phone calls to those groups of students. The worst thing, again, as you're doing that is basically read off a script to where a student is like, you've pretty much been told exactly what to say. You're not even trying to make this a conversation where I get to be a part of it. Just not only congratulate me for getting in, But like, for example, ask me how I'm feeling about it. How are you feeling now that you got admitted to, you know, blankety blank, Will? Like, because some students are like over the moon excited. And let's be real. Some students are like, yeah, I fully expected to get in. So it's really not that much of a surprise. (laughs) There's no right or wrong answer. But again, that's the level of personalization that needs to happen more. Because again, regardless of how the conversation goes, are you making it about the other person? Like back to quick personalization wins. If you want to know whether you just had a good conversation or you've had some good dialogue with somebody, think back and play it back in your brain. I do this all the time with my conversations, you know, with people who did most of the talking. And again, was it a back and forth conversation like I mentioned earlier, or was it just you dominating the conversation and just giving a bunch of, again, information, facts, figures, whatever the case may be, because if it was you dominating the conversation, unless that prospective student or parent just came at you with a laundry list of questions and all you're doing is answering them, 
you probably didn't personalize the conversation enough and make them feel important enough as a way to differentiate you and your school. Well, shifting gears just a hair here, you know, how can young professionals help themselves grow into the best recruiters, best enrolled marketers, and what are some great things that leaders are doing to build that bench? Well, I think at the end of the day, right, I, I think back, you know, to the quote that is on my wall behind me here, that kind of is my philosophy on life, philosophy on business. And it's this notion of investing great relationships, they will pay a lifetime of dividends. And the quotes from Bill Walsh, who was you know, the longtime San Francisco 49ers NFL coach, I think building relationships like everything else will help us all grow, right? Not only professionally, but personally. What I want to do though, Will, is get people to understand there's a difference between just networking and actually building those relationships, okay? Like I think back to you and I and how we've known each other for whatever it's been, three, four years, you and I have really only gotten to like know each other, I would argue, probably over the last couple of years. But I think it's because you and myself have both been more intentional about checking in with each other, shooting each other a DM, a text, an email, whatever. That's a different kind of relationship building than just bumping into somebody at a conference when we used to do it that way. Those type of conversations aren't wrong, but they don't build relationships that help you grow. They don't build relationships that then when you reach out to that person, you know, to try to pick their brain on something or to get them to, you know, recommend you for something or to see if they know somebody who can up, they're less likely to help you if all you're doing every time you reach out is basically, I don't want to say being selfish, but basically I need something from you, right? So I, I think building great relationships, you know, as I like to call it, is really important for all of us. Um, but I think it's important to set goals too. It's amazing, again, how many people, and I was guilty of this as a young, you know, college basketball coach and just as a young professional when I graduated college. Sure, I had long-term goals, right? We have our 5, 10, 20, whatever it might be your goal. But like each day in a week, what are you trying to accomplish, right? If you want to grow and you want to get better, I mean, yes, you need to self-evaluate and figure out what you're good at and what you suck at, right? Because we all have strengths and weaknesses. It's also then important to say, okay, how am I going to figure out what I need to get done, who I need help, you know, like giving yourselves permission, right, to ask for help. That's super important if you want to grow for all of us. Giving yourself permission to like change something. We've talked a lot about, hey, we know it needs to be done differently. Then what's preventing you from changing it, right? What's preventing you from not freaking out if you change it based on data you have? And then you fail. I mean, none of us like to fail. I get it. I hate failure too. But I mean, show me somebody, Will, who's been successful without failing. I mean, we all do it. It requires that for growth. And so those are just some obvious things. But then I think the other thing that I talk a lot about, Will, with young professionals or anybody who wants to grow is the internet has opened up so many opportunities right? It didn't exist, at least for me, Will. You know, I'm in my mid 40s now. And I kid you not, email, right, when I was in college was like just becoming a thing. And there was no Facebook and there was no Instagram. There wasn't even MySpace yet. You had to basically write an actual letter, pick up the phone and cold call somebody, or basically go to their office or door if you wanted to have a conversation. 
you have an opportunity now to seek out people, for example, doing positions that you might aspire to, right? As a way to just learn, you know, you and I, again, off air, before we jumped on, we're talking a little bit about turnover, right? Especially at the leadership level in higher ed over the last couple of years. I think in some cases that turnover could be avoided if I'm interested in potentially being a director. And I think that's something that's on my radar in the next, you know, 12 months. What kind of conversations have I had, not just with my boss, but other people who are in that role at other institutions to figure out what do I not know, right? That would be helpful to know now because it gives me a better understanding of what I might run into. And that access and that accessibility has never been easier, right? Because of technology. And there's just not enough, honestly, young professionals who are setting aside time each week to say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to reach out to somebody knowing that I might reach out to 10 people and only one person gets back to me. Well, you only need one. And I mean, that one person for all you know, short term or long term, could somehow connect you with somebody else or could offer you feedback that's going to help you grow short term or long term. So I think those things are all important. And then real quick, because I know you asked about leadership, which I'm super passionate about. A couple of things besides, you know, the one-on-ones and the importance of those that, you know, the best enrollment leaders that I know are doing, I think you have to empower your staff, right? But empowerment and helping somebody grow only happens again when you truly know, like, do they want to grow? What are their goals? Why are they here? What are they motivated by? Because let's be honest, some are motivated by more money. Some are motivated by getting, you know, that um, you know, affirmation, good job, way to go, whether it's in a one-on-one setting or in front of an entire group. There's no right or wrong answer, but to really encourage your staff and get them to grow, you got to get to know them. And then I think it's important to constantly encourage idea sharing and bring ideas to the table. The key though with all of that, Will, if leaders are really going to build their bench is when ideas get brought to the table, not every idea is going to work. Some are just bad ideas. Some, the timing's not good. Some, the person bringing the idea has no, no understanding, rightfully so. That requires those two offices across campus to work together. And what you don't know is person A hates person B. Unfortunately, leadership does not give context enough. And I hear so many times from admissions counselors, Jeremy, I'm sick and tired of taking my ideas to my boss. I get shot down. I walk away feeling defeated, sometimes stupid. I'm just not taking ideas anymore. That is absolutely, as I always say, the wrong approach to take. And so as an actual counselor in that situation, if we're talking about growth, for your personal growth, I want you to keep thinking and bringing ideas. And hopefully from a leadership standpoint, leadership will give more context as to why, again, it doesn't fit the timing, this, that, the other. So I think those are just a handful of things. And then the the last thing real quick is just celebrate your wins. One of the best ways to build, you know, team and your bench, if you want to call it, that is, how are you celebrating each other? Like you don't have to wait to celebrate applications until the year's over or your yield until the end of the year. Like one of the best things I saw a school I worked with do is during the pandemic, when they get together and do their weekly get togethers on Zoom, they are having at least one person every time will share a small win that happened to them over the last week, just so the rest of the group can not only celebrate it with them, 
but also so that somebody else on the team might say, well, wait, that might actually work with my territory or my group of students. So maybe I'm going to take that idea and find a way to make it successful too. I like that you kept the theme throughout here, build relationships, not being transactional with leadership. It was all about that relationship again. Just sort of a parting thought here. What's one piece of advice that you'd pull out from all this? They'd say, hey, do this right now. As soon as you're done listening, put down your phone, your smart speaker, whatever, and do this one thing. And it's going to take your office forward. It's going to take your recruiting forward. Find one thing you want to get better at right now. I mean, from a leadership level down to if you're a brand new counselor listening to this, figure out what's one thing I know either I need to improve on because it's not working the way I want or just something that I strive to be better at. Okay. So once you write that idea down, then you need to figure out who can help me with that or where can I go on the internet with people I know, or how can I find somebody and start to build one of those relationships we just talked about that hopefully is going to be able to give me some information or give me some ideas and tips and strategies that then will help me. So I think it's, again, small things, right? We all have stuff we want to be better at. So don't come up with 30 things. That's not wrong. But pick one thing right now, if you're listening to this, that you want to change or do differently and commit to it. But again, it's not just about saying I'm going to do it. You have to come up with a plan. You have to figure out who can help you with that if it's something you need help with. And then it's just go do it and try not to hopefully stress out and worry it's not going to work the way I want. Because you know what? For some people listening to this, they're going to try something. And yeah, it's not going to work the way you want. That's okay. But then figure out why it didn't work and figure out if it was something that you could control or if it was something that, again, was out of your control. Love it. Well, Jeremy, thanks. I, I really appreciate your time here today. People want to reach back out, and they absolutely should. What are some ways they can get in touch with you? Yeah, so a couple of quick things. If you're on social media, uh, I am on it pretty much religiously, definitely Monday to Friday, uh, multiple times a day, connecting with people, answering DMs and questions. You can follow me on Twitter at Coach Tears, T-I-E-R-S. You can follow me on LinkedIn, which is just Jeremy Tears. Uh, my email, if anybody listening to this has questions about something we talked about today or, or, Hey, Jeremy, I'd love to like pick your brain around X. It's my first name, Jeremy, J E R E M Y at Dan, D A N tutor, T U D O R.com. I am more than happy to have follow-up conversations. Um, as I shared earlier, I love the one-on-one kind of mining back and forth and trying to figure out if I can help somebody with something. So and if you really enjoy the stuff we're talking about, you know, shameless plug here before we jump off, I do a newsletter each week, as you know, Will. You are more than welcome to go to our website, which is emissions with an S on the end, .dantutor.com, and just uh, sign up at the top, and you'll get a lot of these same kinds of thoughts and information around things like personalization each week. And maybe that's something, again, that might help you that's something you're interested in, you can go sign up and I'd love to have you join the community. And I'll have links to all those in the show notes. So if you, you know, if you weren't taking quick enough notes, don't worry too much there. Jeremy, really appreciate the time. Continue to, for people listening in the future, we are in January, 2021. So continue staying safe. Have a great spring here. Absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity, Will. It's always fun to uh, chat and talk shop with you. And again, I hope everybody was able to take away something from today. 
and good luck.